RPS powered by Seth. Welcome to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where two grown men and a gifted young mind discuss some of the hottest and most relevant issues in pop culture. Some of you may get the blues, feel sad or like there's not much to get excited about these days. Well, this week we have a few things to get up to get our spirits up. Artists and musicians have become our essential workers and today we'll focus some attention on Romy Madley Croft from the XX who's about to release her solo album. Well, Enchanter Jonesy from Sigur Ross has decided to go disco and our album of the week is short but sweetly delivered by the singer who always seems to be staring glumly at the rain out of windows of expensive real estate. James Blake. And we will discuss the latest in psychedelic cartoons that lead the mind down multicolored rabbit holes with Midnight Gospel. Sat at the round table, we have Ben Cardew the 3rd. Hello. We have Mar Verdu. Hey there. And behind the controls, we have David Camilleri. What a banger. That's a great song, isn't it? It's reminding me a little bit of Annie Lennox, the uh, of uh, Must Be Dreaming of an Angel. Oh, nice. Good call. Good call. Do you remember when we listened to Annie Lennox on the show? When we were talking about, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, I think about starting fires. Oh yes. oh yes, because uh, of the of uh, Little Fires Everywhere. The, little the Fires Everywhere. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always room for Annie Lennox on the weekly review. I said that this is... You know, I'm not such a big fan of the XX, uh, the XX, but this is such a good tune. I really love it. And it kind of fits with what we're talking about, eh, Johan? Well, uh, as I say, we we are going to discuss the show to feeling sad. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's actually a wonderful emotion, especially when there's music to lift you up from that sadness, like this song by Romy Madley Croft. I mean, what I like about this song is that she still retains her melancholy, but... As I say, she's uplifting. Kind of like Tracy Thorne of Everything But The Girl, who I've always found similarities with in the XX remixes. Her debut solo single, Lifetime, reflects her fascination with club classics and the image of Ibiza that she's held in her head since she was a teenager. By the way, speaking of Ibiza, sadly, we, again, we're feeling very sad this week. We must light a candle for Jose Padilla the DJ who passed away this week after battling with colon cancer, considered to be the godfather of Chill Out, he was the legendary Balearic DJ who made Café del Mar an international institution and who released a long-running series of DJ mixes that are still played in every spa from here to Kuala Lumpur. Rest in power, Jose Padilla. Anyway, back to singers who are known for sad music. Um, what, hang on, what, what did you think of Romy's song? Are you a fan of, were you a fan of the XX, Mark? Um, I... Barely listened to to the XX. I I saw them live in in Bilbao in the Bebeka um, festival, mm-hmm. and I really liked them. I, I didn't know she was going solo and releasing um, new new songs, and I I really liked the the short amount we heard from this song, and I think I will be playing it by myself. Well, one of the problems the XX have, where because they're such a big festival act, usually they're you know they've 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 risen to headliner status, uh, status. But the, one of the problems they had was that all throughout their three albums, it was all very icy, very slow, and sometimes for a late night slot in front of twenty thousand people, people would always have a bit of a moan, like oh you know, but I, I need something a bit more. Yeah. So even though this is her so her solo and Jamie XX. In, uh, as a solo artist is also quite dancier. Maybe this means that the XX will finally join forces together to go in a more dance-orientated direction, maybe just to fulfill those incredible festi- festival slots they will hopefully get booked to play in in a not-too-distant future. I was reading something recently. Apparently, we are in the golden age of the sad banger. Ah. It was um, it was in uh, GQ magazine. They were talking about around... Uh, do you remember Mark Ronson's album? Uh, with Nothing Breaks Like a Heart and everything. I yes. think that, that was uh, described as a collection. Well, it was called Late Night Feelings. I think he called it a collection of sad sad bangers. And um, 
It really is a, a beautiful age. I mean, that's such a good song, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. There is yes. nothing mm. I like more than that kind of happy melancholy, that, that beautiful sweet and sour mix. It's because when house music, one thing I used to dislike about house music when I was younger was that, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a bit more emo on the dance floor, you know, and I liked to, I liked Arab Strap, you know, when I was 22, I was really sort of, yes, you know, uh, Bukowski and lyrics and ah, tormented. And then, okay, yes, I'd have fun in the clubs, but sometimes all that sort of happy, sort of joyful, uh, gospel-y kind of black sound, eh, it didn't go well with what I, what I was looking for. So I'm, I'm very much on board with the sad banger in a dance floor, you know. Um, there was, there's a Spanish musician, Pepo Marquez, who actually hosts the show Está Pasando on RPS with Borja Prieto. Uh, he's got a band called The Secret Society and he had a song or or he had a, a, a slogan that was Sad Boys Dance because he put a bit of a drum beat on one of his uh, emo folk songs. But yeah, there's a little... But there, there's always gold, isn't there, to be found in sort of dancing looking a bit sad. I know I used to do it as a way to sort of attempt to talk to girls. It never really worked. But you, you'd always be like, oh yeah, they're singing. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing, but I'm sad. What an incredible enigma I'm he must be. connected with my feelings. I'm not like other boys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was the thinking, Mark. Would it amaze you to know it didn't work? <laughs> or it didn't work in 1990 Norwich anyway. It should have. Damn it really should. But I, like, I think, talk of which, I had some friends, some goth friends. And goths really dance. I wonder if this is where the origin of it because you know you think goths kind of like look look sad i love goths by the way can i just yes. say i'm not one but i really really love them you think they look sad but you get them on dance floor, they go insane yes like, they have some of the wildest dancing i've ever seen they don't crack smiles exactly but they really go for it have you ever been to a goth night more uh, no i want to now you're oh. making me there was one in madrid called the uh, the black hole and and it was one of the my favorite club nights because they would start off playing uh 80s new wave and joy division and chameleons the sound all the stuff that i really love and uh, then they'd morph into a bit more industrial techno and um or, or industrial metal or industrial goth um and it was it was such an exciting night and as you say ben everyone was dressed in black there was a lot of theatricality there was always different types of goth shall we say it's not just one type and and yeah it was sort of just sort of doing that kind of dance where you're waving your arms like a bat you know in slow motion and 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 dancing on your own really uh, it wasn't like a communal thing it was like no no everyone looking down in their own little bubble and uh, i think that's what a lot of people have been forced to do in this age of confinement where clubs have been closed you know you're dancing on your own and feeling very melancholy so you need but it feels great and talking of dancing on my own. Ah, oh, that was good. Did you I set it up? <laughs> Robin. 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 Rob, what? I mean, come on. She uh, her her entire catalog is all about dancing with tears in your eyes. And she's gone and rescued one of the singers who's been who's made a career out of being somber and making incredible orchestral post rock that was rarely ever described as cheery. Jonesy from Sigur Ross. Rescued might be a little bit harsh. Okay, uh, she's taken him out partying. Okay, well, actually, like his new albums, really, the the whole album is quite upbeat. You know, I believe it's uh, a, a lot of it he did uh, with uh, was it Ag a. Cook? I, th I think um, yes, he did. Uh, his album was produced by Ag Cook, and it's really upbeat and electronic. Again, it's like it's it's a funny week because again, personal taste. I don't I don't particularly like Sigur Ross. Um, and they possibly occupy a roughly similar space. The the XX for me, a lot of respect for them, but don't particularly like them. But this is a, this is a great song. I'm really glad he just went a, went a bit weird, basically. Let's have a listen to Jonesy and Robin with Salt Licorice. <laughs> This is also quite revolutionary because it's the first time I think we get to understand Jonesy, well, first of all, him singing in English and actually understanding what he's singing about because he also made a career out of singing in Hopperlandish, a made-up language, which was somewhere between Icelandic and Elf. 
Do you want some lyrics from it? They're quite interesting. Give it to me. You spread your wings, t-shirt, shoulder blades, your skinny waist is making me throw up. Ooh, my Scandinavian pain. And of course, the name goes that because salt licorice is something they absolutely love in Scandinavia. Well, I don't want to give lots of uh, cliches, but they do, don't they? They They do. I've never met a a Scandinavian, a Finn, a Norwegian or a Swede that that hasn't been chewing on, or was it that tobacco snooze? No, sorry, but also... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't think Finland's in Scandinavia. What?! Hang on. It is. Well, at least in my school, uh, we, we always, there was, I went to class with fin- Finnish kids, Swami, who spoke Swami, and uh, yeah, Scandinavia was, well, Finland was a, if you were Finnish, you would go either to the Scandinavian school in Fungirola or to mine. Uh, I'm going to Wikipedia, right, which of course anyone could have edited, <laughs> but the term Scandinavia in local uses covers the three kingdoms of Denmark, <gasps> Norway and Sweden. Oh. Finland is not. Finland's a Nordic country, okay. but it's not Scandinavian. Okay, all right, all right, there's me. All right, wow, you always learn something new with Ben Cardew. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I, it's because I got that wrong many a time. Ah, okay, so it's, it is Nordic, but... Okay, because you know, there's they have so many similarities in cultures and traditions and the way they cure their meat and the salmon. Finland doesn't. Finland's bonkers. Finland's like very, very kind of Russian and different, and its language is, is insane. Big fan of Finland. I've never been, but like <laughs> theoretically, I'm a big fan. Isn't Vladislav Delay Finnish? Yes, and Alexei Perella. Because uh, 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 Vladislav Delay came to mind when listening to James Blake's album, which we're going to be talking about further on in the show. Uh, Wonderful, minimal and experimental click, click house, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clicky, clicky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what I like about this story of, of Jonesy going disco is the fact that, well, he's done what a lot of successful musicians who are going through a bit of a midlife moment do. They end up moving to Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> and having a bank and having a blast. Hasn't he moved to Los Angeles? Well, now he's in Los Angeles, but ah. a lot of a lot of this. Well, maybe not this record, but uh, but he has referenced um, some of the wild nights he's had in Berlin, kind of like Dan Snaith and uh, from Caribou. He he talked about that when he was making Swim all those all those years long ago. I don't know if he was going through some kind of um, emotional problem or anything, but he discovered dance floors in Europe especially London in his case and it made him deliver one of the one of my favorite records anyway that's Swim so uh, I quite like it when all these gloomy or experimental musicians come to Europe and, and go raving well do you know what's going on with Sigur Ross? they're facing a massive tax evasion case which uh, two of the, apparently has led to two of them leaving the country oh. they, they they had one tax evasion case and it like basically there they say allegedly their uh, accountant had not been paying the correct tax. So they're like, okay, fine, we'll pay it and we'll we'll pay the the taxes and we'll pay the fine. And then there's another potential case going in which they might have to pay two hundred percent of the tax they didn't pay, and the tax oh they God. they didn't pay is something like seven hundred thousand euros. So, and they're saying they might you know they might have to leave. Well, the ones who are still in Iceland might have to leave. Well, well, poor Sigur Ross, they've been, I mean, are, are they on, on hiatus? Uh, they I did. don't know, I think they sort of still exist. They played Primavera not all that long ago. No, they? yeah, and, and they obviously they keep releasing very interesting stuff and soundtracks, and, and but they, uh, obviously, first of all, there was the departure of uh, the, their pianist and keyboardist who was in charge of most of their classical arrangements, whose name I struggle to remember right now, but... Um, then their drummer Ori um, faced uh, a few um, sexual inap- uh, inappropriate sexual behavior allegations, which uh, forced him out of the band. So all of a sudden, it was left down to Jonesy and um, Har- Harvard. Oh, damn it! I-, I used to know these guys' names. I, I used to have it t- practically tattooed in my brain. I was such a fan of them. But time, ladies and gentlemen, one. <laughs> And one ends up shedding a bit of memory. Well, while you, you frantically search for that, I want to introduce uh, a question, all right? So sad bangers for me are absolutely great for dancing to, but I wouldn't listen to them if I was actually sad, okay? Because they're, they're a bit too, like, if there's one thing I don't want to listen to when I'm really sad, it's like a thumping kick drum. Yes, Mark? Yeah. No, I, we were talking about this topic and being sad and dancing to sad music and stuff. And I was thinking, when I'm sad, I just want to be even more sad. I want someone to tell me, yes, you're sad, you can cry. And then it's like a, 
a path. Then when you're at the end of the path, maybe you can dance. But when I'm sad, I just want FKA Twigs to sing to me, to ballad to me, and then her weird sounding th- um, music making me want to dance, but not like crazy dance. I, I just want to be comforted. So you start off with something like really sad FKA Twigs, yes. and then you sort of build it up a little bit, some of her yes. more danceable numbers. And maybe, yeah, maybe I can start kind of dancing with F- FKA, and then... I can maybe arrive to Robin, but it, it's a progress. I, I don't start with Robin. So here, here's the thing, right? FKA Twigs um, is... Well, you, you, your native language is Catalan and, yeah. and Spanish. We'll say the two or, or one anyway. <laughs> I think someone can gather that from my accent. <laughs> no, no, no. And your, in, your English is excellent, right? But um, FKA Twigs' lyrics are quite, are quite obtuse, right? Um, and I find it quite interesting you listen to that when you were sad, because, like... My classic sad band before the badness happened was, you know, the Smiths and Morrissey, basically. And it was very, it was very literal. It was like, you know, you'd yeah, go to a club a and and you'd you'd leave alone and be like, oh, that's my life, that's my life. <laughs> but you're not going for literal things. You're yeah, no, but the last album, Magdalene, is so good. There's um, songs that, oh, I I hate men, I hate all men, um, I'm heartbroken, and there's song like. Oh, I'm I'm just trying to live here, and maybe things go wrong. But I'm just trying to do my thing, like Mary Magdalene. I, I like all of them. I I think it's good for sad sadness. And do you have different types of sad music? Like there'd be one sad if you know. Yeah, okay. Go on, tell us. Yeah, yeah. I think we all have like our comfort, different types of sadness, and I don't know if it's only me, but it's. I have a playlist for being sad, but I don't use it. I need the whole album. I need the whole experience. So if I want to mourn like, for myself and feel like FKA Twigs singing to me in Mary Magdalene and all Holy Terrain and all these bangers, but sad bangers. <laughs> um, but if I, I'm kind of angry, I, I don't know why I put Igor, uh, last uh, Tyler's Tyler. album. So because he tells this story, and at some point he's so angry, like uh, Magic One, I think it's called. He's so angry, and I I want to punch everyone, and and he wants to punch everyone with me. So I feel understood, and I think there's a, a CD um, album for each type of sadness, and you have to find your own, and then it becomes your comfort music, and you always go back to this because it works. Angry sadness. I got to go for Nirvana. Something like In Utero. That's absolutely perfect, you know, because it's so angry but so sad. Just like, yeah, good. Forget all of you. I've had enough. I love that. Totally. I quite like Napalm Death that we reviewed a few weeks ago. For that, I'd never experienced uh, listening to grindcore. I wasn't sad or angry, but I, I could imagine it being the perfect catharsis for that kind of moment. Well, there is, again, a, ki- a type of sadness when what I like to listen to is like really extreme techno or drum and bass or something like that, because it's almost just like blasts it away, you know, not not for like lying on your bed being sad, but for like when you want to go out for a walk or something, you're just like, right, I just want to get this nonsense out of my head, and you're just like, right, bring on, you know, some old hardcore tapes or something like that. I really like that. What, what, what other, what, you know, a, a lot of people have been facing with these emotions, and, and last week... Um, in Barcelona, bars were closed down and restaurants, which was one of, one of the few outlets where people would kind of go to feel uplifted and have a bit of a social gathering, even though it's being frowned upon because we still can't seem to reduce the numbers of contagion. Um, and so obviously, one, you, you know, you take away that, people can still go out for walks and and runs and do some sport and stuff but you know you you kind of need the little you know we're not talking about a massive gathering you know you want to sit around a terrace and talk about anything that doesn't have to do with you and your own predicament or your own problems or whatever right so you take that away so people are feeling a little bit extra sad this week but I've been getting into a lot of meditation music, which can be a bit melancholy. Not that purely kind of yoga yoga room <laughs> sound. A little bit, though. A, a little, little bit. bit, a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's because it works. It works, and I've been reading up on it, and loads of articles have been written about how it helps people deal with anxiety and depression and stuff. And my... my one of my favorite discoveries this year has been Beverly Glenn Copeland. And let's hear a bit of this so you can get a sense of the voice that has been uplifting a lot of my afternoons and mornings.
That was the sound of Beverly Glenn Copeland, a musician and singer born in Philadelphia who mm, had been making music for many decades. And there's been a beautiful story about how a Japanese fan of his music, uh, was, and who's also quite an audiophile, was uh, championing Beverly's music. And all of a sudden there was this whole story about bringing him over to Japan to meet this fan and, and, and articles were written and all of a sudden there's this new fan base for Gle Beverly Glenn Copeland. As well, all of her music is really his soothing. Music. His music, sorry. His music uh, is, is very soothing. It really transports you into uh, brighter pastures, shall we say. Yeah, this is the, the last step on the path, I feel like. Then you listen to this kind of music and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm all done. The sadness is, is done. I, I really like it. I cannot listen to music like this when I'm sad. I find it just annoys me. But when you're done crying or when you're done with all the sadness, then you listen to this and it's like, oh, okay, I've reached the Nirvana. I'm on another level. No, when I'm done, I like to put on something really upbeat because it's like, yeah, done, finished. You know, I'm going to you know, put on something with a, with a big house beat or something like that. Nothing, nothing against the music. I just can't listen to this kind of thing when I'm sad. It just annoys me. But Johan, you, you've got some other... Well, uh, apart from Beverly Glenn Copeland, obviously, obviously I've got to thank the algorithm on Spotify because it starts <laughs> recommending stuff uh, that's in this vein. And then apart from what I consider the new kings of easy listening, like John Carroll Kirby or Eddie Chacon, who we talked about a few weeks earlier, another musician from way back then was uh, Basil Kirchen. And uh, again, it's it's... These compositions, first of all, they sound really lush. They sound really well recorded. You can see that there was a lot of studio wizardry. I mean, some of this stuff was recorded in the 60s. Um, and as I say, it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me think. It doesn't make me strain any thought. It just sort of lets me contemplate the trees and the leaves and the sunsets and the sunrise. I'm in that kind of moment, I guess. And uh, it's helping me get through this pandemic. Anyway, but that's that. Those are my little two cents on music to me that I listen to when I'm feeling sad. <laughs> Three very different ways of being sad with each of us, and it's really interesting. Maybe there's some horoscope kind of thing, astrological signs <laughs> being different between the three of us. I've got to say the other thing. Sometimes, sometimes when I get sad, I can't listen to music and just has to live to like the like podcasts and things like that. Like people talking about football and stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, I'm not not listening. And uh, what if my brain says no? I've filled it with other stuff. Well, what everyone is raving about in this country is with this uh, TV show called La Isla de los Famosos. Uh, it's de like De las Tentaciones. I keep getting everything wrong. Uh, Love Island, basically. It's kind basically. of. I think it's uh, like Love Island. No. Uh, with more twists, like there's couples and they have to break apart and yeah, they, they they take these couples and they they put them on this on these islands along with other single people, single men and single women, and the couples get separated and then there's video footage of them flirting and, and going all the all the way with these <laughs> other people cheating on each other. Why are people? Why why is this so popular? Because there's lots of sad people who need to get their head out of their own thoughts and have to watch Love, I I Love Island, La Isla de las Tentaciones. The Island too. of Temptations. Yeah. I mean, it's what you were saying. It, it just puts, it takes people's minds off their everyday lives. You know, you listen to football podcasts or podcasts that can talk about all an, an array of interesting things. Here in Spain, no one distracts the population greater mm -hmm. than Telecinco, which is the ch <laughs> this channel. Uh, they just keep churning out all these kind of rubbish. T uh, well, I'd hate to call. It, I don't want to disrespect them and call them rub rubbish, but they are very good at what they do, which is just making you switch off your brain and mm -hmm. laugh at people who mm, come across as being slightly more disgraceful than you. Talking of melancholy, should we have a little bit of a blast from our album stroke EP of the week? This is James Blake with Before. I don't have to read into this. 
James Blake with Before from the EP of the same name. Uh, and it seemed like a very appropriate record to, to talk about this week when we talk about kind of sad music because it's a very, very sad kind of EP. And I should just stress from the get-go, um, we are all right with it. We, we think making sad music is, is very good. We think men expressing their feelings, women expressing... Everyone expressing their feelings, being sad is, is a very good thing. Uh, so with that groundwork fully established, uh, Ma, what did you reckon? Um, I love James Blake. Um, I I really like the Zoom, Zoom form. Um, but this, uh, I don't know, it was not my cup of tea. It sounded like a Zoom form, but someone threw a random beat on it and then he kind of had to to adjust to it and uh, it was maybe I have to listen to it more carefully or give it a second chance but not not for me so it didn't fit well you're no, saying like it just no. sounded like the, the beat was, was not yeah. quite and you're a fan I really like it, well, I think for I, I listen to quite a bit of his songs, but not that much. And then for me, the last album was the discovering James Blake as a really good artist. I really liked how much in love he was and, and the story and the songs and everything. But this one, not for me. Johan? I, I was not a fan of his overrated albums <laughs> uh, I, I was a little bit um, in Spanish we say empalagao cuando es empalagoso when it's too sugary it's too sweet and plus when I saw that he was making songs with Bon Iver as well you know, like, oh, really too much of this but I I love this EP maybe because it's so short you know by the time it finishes it's like hang on a minute I want to I haven't formed an opinion yet I'll oh, just go with love <laughs> alright well done no no I was listening to it especially on headphones and uh, I really like these as I I say I've been listening to a lot of medita- meditative music and and all these slow sound soft sounds cushion cushy sounds so it's nice it's really it's it's really pleasurable to listen to and to contemplate the rain outside outside the windows um and I even think it's quite sophisticated in 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 the way he's embracing uh, his this his his kind of dance shall we say very micro housey almost so how would you would you listen to it would you dance to it if clubs were open would you put it on a club you, you would you dj it what would you do with it how does it work for you i dj i used to dj a lot in hotels and sort of cocktail lounges so this is definitely the kind of stuff that i'd be using i can't see it banging in a club like you know in in in, in apollo or anything like that but it well, it depends. It, you know, an, uh, this is the perfect soundtrack to play when you come back home from a, a loud club. You know, when your when your ears are still muffled from you know standing next to the loudspeaker. Remember those days when you'd go out to a club and your your ears were ringing and you'd come home and you'd need a bit of a come down record, right, to to bring down the the bodily rhythms and the fluids. So this is the kind of record <laughs> Hang I imagine. On, bring down the fluids. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, everything's going on in the body when you come out clubbing. You know, go and have a wee and stuff before going to bed. Drink one liter of water and that kind of stuff. You know, settle settle the body chemistry <laughs> and. Um, it's 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 a perfect record for what we in Spain call un mañaneo, which is basically that post-club morning session while you're watching the sunrise and you're with your friends and you're smoking and you're talking about anything random from Polish techno labels to Vladislav Delay's micro-clicking house. You know, it's like, yes, this is good chin-stroking music. See, it sounds quite fuzzy. Right, and that, that I, I can see what you're saying there because you know it's a time time when your ears are a bit fuzzy, and this is a bit fuzzy, and it kind of goes well together, kind of fits with with that funny state. But for me, I thought it was just a little bit bloodless. I wanted more blood and guts and dirt and filth mm. and and things like that. Now I'm not like maybe that's not quite James Blake, but his early EPs like Air and Lack Thereof and CMYK were really like that really weird dubstep bass lurch weird voices and i would love a sort of return to that because they really were club tracks you know you could you well you genuinely did hear them in the clubs i'm not sure if you would if you would play this in a club i mean not main dancer or maybe it'd be a bit of a strange one this is lockdown house this is <laughs> lo- literally lo- music for a locked down house <laughs> music to listen to just to give you the urge to have a little wiggle in your living room but not get too excited because there are no clubs to go to but I've I've got to say, all right, Summer of Now, which is the last, which is the last song of this. Um, he says it's got a post-punk influence, a little bit of suicide or Joy Division, and boy, do I not hear that. He's got a he gets his wobbly voice out, and he pay, like his voice kind of divides opinion, shall we say? I'm not that big a fan of his voice, but you know that that's that's 
that's a very personal thing, but he seems to put an effect on this that makes it more wobbly, which seems a very unique decision to make. You know what I found a bit annoying at the time was, I, I wh- who came first, Sampha or James Blake? Because I'd confuse them, you know, I'd be oh. like listening to a Drake record, he's like, oh, is that James Blake? I said, oh no, it's Sampha. <laughs> All of a sudden this worldly way of singing was appearing everywhere and then you go, I don't know. <laughs> Aren't they quite different now? They're, you're going to make me Not get Sampha them the comp- Great. No? no, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. The one with 100 degrees plastic or something like this, his best song to me. Um, I think they sound quite different. Well, at the time, at the time, I'd confuse them. I wasn't, uh, my ears weren't that sensitive from all the clubbing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was banged out. Both of them do make me think a little bit of um, a specific type of kind of Englishness that, that appeals to Americans as well. You know, it's kind of it's quite four weddings and a funeral. I gotta mm-hmm. say. Oh, you! I heard you call him the Hugh Grant. Of the Hugh Grant of House, <laughs> the four weddings and a funeral of funk. That's my that's my line, and I'm sticking to it. And I should say, Mark, I like both Hugh Grant and four weddings and a funeral. And maybe James Blake, if you give him an opportunity. I've given him loads of opportunities. I, I, no, I, I, like, I see what you're saying. He's totally like the British for Americans, and it, and I think it, it can work. This, I'm not saying it's an insult. I like it's not because I like you, and I like for weddings and funeral. I've seen it twice, and if it was a rainy <laughs> afternoon, I'd probably see it again. You know, but it's quite, it's quite limited. <laughs> you know, it's quite a limited cultural output. It puts a very unique frame, I think, on um, a particular type of culture, which is what James James Blake does for me on this EP. I mean, James Blake, we've got to face it, even though he headlines festivals like Primavera Sound and he, he can collaborate with anyone he desires and he's got very good taste when selecting collaborators in the past. I mean, Travis Scott, Metro Boomin, Moses Sumney, Rosalia, Andre 3000, you know, who gets Andre 3000 <laughs> to sing on a record, you know, and, and on, on the colour of anything, was it, where he sang? On, no, it was on his previous album on Assume Form. Yep. Yeah. Um, so... He's got that status, but let's not forget that James Blake makes very mainstream music. This is the music that soundtracks car advertisements that you can hear in every five-star boutique hotel. You know, it's very inoffensive. It's it's textural. It's it's music that can fit in so many places in the marketplace that I think this is a very classy way of maintaining his status within that industry, but at the same time pushing, you know, offering fans a a refreshing sight, especially for this year. I feel that this year, all the musicians and artists who have released music in lockdown have made music for the time. They've been very quick mm. to react. They haven't said, well, I don't care if it's lockdown and I can't play a gig, I'm still going to release a, a ravishing pop- punk rock record. No, you've had uh, people like Romy Madleycroft, who we've been talking at the beginning. You know, She's made the kind of mm, music that you look forward to listening to to get out of the house um james blake is making music to spend time in the house who was who did we review who made a was it yeji little sims wasn't it i think who yeah. made who made the record in her house and her neighbor came around and was complaining no not that no, yeah that was little sims but yeji made a bit of a record which it sounded clubby but the kind of club that you would set up in your lockdown oh, right apartment. yeah yeah that could have been yeah yeah it's it, it fits into that category right where as i say uh, we don't know how long this is going to be going on for, but um, <laughs> Clubland is still very far away. So it's great that we have these kind of records made by artists who are taking these necessities or these situations into account, I think. Plus, I love the album cover. It's I don't know what it is with me and, and city lights and, and, and hotel, hotel windows. I'm always dragging on about this. Whenever I think of James Blake, I like that world. I like that world of, you know, the addition hotel. I live right behind it. And it's closed and it makes me very sad because I used to love to go into hotels and have a cup of coffee or a cocktail if I was feeling fancy. And just sort of feeling like Drake does in most of his songs, you know. It's, now, that's a great way to feel sad when you sort of yeah. pretend that you're a millionaire and that your woes are all about, oh... I lost three million on the stock exchange today, and to, uh, I was going to have dinner with some. You know, well, I can't say that. <laughs> no, I don't know where you. With all these wonderful uh, models and stuff, but I can't make it to that dinner because I've got a meeting in the morning. I don't know, you know, <laughs> role playing they call it, no cosplaying. Um, so James Blake is perfect for that kind of um, Christopher Nolan character cosplay. <laughs> 
the thing is, well, I don't like I don't like the the cover of this at all. But and I kind of feel it, it, it fits into what I'm saying. It's really indistinct. It's like yeah. indistinct and and I don't know, sort of vaguely elegant, but doesn't seem like like what is it? It's sort of it's like. A, a sort of couple of a blob that's probably a curtain before written in a weird font, and then I think James Blake. I don't know. It just eh, doesn't work. Yeah, he's, you know, he's blurry. Font. He's blurry, like it, like a lot of the sounds on his album. But you you can sort of see the reflection of well, his reflections against the the, the city lights, shall we say? You know, those neon lights, which is something that I think his music is always. It never takes me to the to the countryside. Even though, like, if you look at the album cover of The Colour in Anything, it was it was a drawing of him in, in the Eng- mm. what I'm assuming is the English countryside. But I always found James Blake to be a very city kind of music. Let's talk the font, though. That's not a good font, the is it? Font. I love horrible. Font. Oh. It's, it's like, oh, I just took this picture with my phone and within the phone app editing, I'm going to write before. Yeah, I would have had so same. much respect if it done it in Comic Sans. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, I think Kanye has a lot to do with that whole thing about, you know, putting bold fonts on the cover and just arranging it in a way mm. that, you know, all of a sudden loads of covers uh, are looking like The Life of Pablo since that came out, Mura Massa's album. That's di- quite different from this cover. I like that cover, but not the James Blake one. I like the idea that you gave for it like the hotel sadness cosmopolitan life i'm rich but not rich enough but uh it's just not hitting <laughs> home for me it's not it one thing i found really strange was the summer of now sorry to go back to this but the, the chorus goes i'm not the summer of 2015 but i can be the summer of now and somehow he makes 2015 sound like the least sexy year in existence <laughs> it's like what, what are you talking it's like i don't know it's not like 1975 or you know 1969 or something like that it's like 2015 <laughs> it just sounds really weird and obviously I, i'm not saying that i'm sure i don't know what happened in the summer of 20, 2015 but it just sounds very strange in a song you know well i mean the the Colour in Anything came out in 2016, so in 2015 he was probably going through the the creative ups and downs of trying to deliver an, a follow-up to Overgrown, which was oh. so hyped and it was so celebrated and it was everyone's favourite album. It tops, I don't know mm-hmm. how many lists of best of. So I guess 2015 must have been a tumultuous year. But um, is it a sexy year? Is it a pop year? Would you put that in a pop song? Uh. Mm. I don't know what James Blake's private but life I, was like. No, yeah, I'm talking was, about you. Oh, me, 2015. <laughs> I can't even remember. I'm talking aesthetically. Oh, never mind. Ma, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Now you're making me think 2015 was horrible and tacky. Nothing <laughs> can be horribler than 2020. <laughs> That's the thing. Exactly. I think the point he was trying to make, he was like a summer of xx year that wasn't not a pandemic year so maybe he was it was the summer he met jamila jamil or maybe it was something that didn't have a pandemic on it so it sounds better well it was pre-brexit pre-trump wasn't it 2015 yes but equally if you'd said 2000 that sounds a bit sexier doesn't it I think yeah, but he was probably still in primary school when he was in 2001. Yeah, yeah but like, who cares? You know, well, all right, no, it's probably about something he cares. Sorry, no, no, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some cryptic. Mark, come on, get up with the conspiracy yeah, theory. Yeah, exactly. What happened in James I'm, Blake's life? Yeah, in I'm gonna go for it. It's when he met Jamila Jamil, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Shall we listen to uh, another of the tracks from this? Yes, please. This is "Do You Ever." Do You Ever by James Blake from the uh, Before EP, which I think it's fair to say has very much divided opinions here. We've got uh, a James, a former James Blake fan who doesn't like it, a former non-fan of James Blake who does like it, and uh, me who wasn't particularly a James Blake fan that doesn't like it either. But anyway, well, we're there. Congratulations all round. There we go. This this song is reminding me a little bit as also of that Catronada kind of vibe mm. that that has become so popular as well. But again, toned down a bit. Bloodless Catronada. I'll give you that. Oh my God! But in a good it way. Is, now, I, now I I accuse this of being a little bit saccharine. And what we're going to now is we're going to talk about something that is anything but saccharine. In fact, it's like it's like spiking your coffee with chili peppers. <laughs> 
and rubbing in your eye. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. I knew nothing about it until until yesterday, and I've been introduced to it. It is the Midnight Gospel. Ma, I think it's only correct that you tell us what on earth is going on. Yeah, um, I think it's perfectly fitting with the theme of, of today's episode, sadness, but also with the theme that the time we're living in, the bars are closed, we're sad, we're, we want to go out and we haven't been out in what it feels all 2020. So it's the perfect time to watch something like Midnight Gospel. Mm, live La Isla de las Tentaciones. Just watch Midnight Gospel. It's, it's uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's, just as good as it is difficult to describe, to, to say so. Well, it is. It is definitely a cartoon for adults, shall we say? I mean, I'm. I don't know. Maybe. Would you? Do you think children would be able to understand what's going on? No, I think it's like when you're a kid and you watch the cartoons, but do not listen to what they're saying or yeah. the action. I think you could get with that, but not with what they're saying because they discuss very strong and important and relevant and. Kind of stoner conversations, but making it feel easy, casual, and entertaining. Like not like, oh, dude, this is so cool, and like real, real topics. Um, and it's this mix of very good animation made by Pendleton Ward, the Adventure Time yeah. creator, mega mind of animation, and. The podcast by Duncan Tassel, who is a, a comedian, but also has this podcast called Duncan Trussell Family Hour, who Pendleton, the creator of Adventure Time, was a fan of. So he contacted Duncan and, and um, had this crazy idea of mixing his podcast and his animation creation mind and, and creating this hybrid that is Midnight Gospel. And it's, it is um, funny philosophical, dark, trippy, painful at times, but it is amazing. I, I just I cannot say any more good things about this this show. So I, I was inspired, basically, I knew we were going to be talking about this day and I hadn't even heard about this. I sat down to watch the first episode of The Midnight Gospel and it's one of those things you look at it and you're like, you start Googling and you're like, what on earth <laughs> is this? And I really, really like things like that that you can't easily... Uh, easily defined. I mean, it's sort of podcast plus animation, but that's sort of underplaying. That really is kind of underplaying it. Um, basically, in the first episode, the main character visits Earth 4169, which is in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Um, he decides to interview so called. Uh, glasses man who is in fact president of the universe a baby-sized president <laughs> very true um and in front of the white house there are anti-marijuana protesters and that starts talk between clancy and the glass man about drugs basically and this then bleeds into uh, an interview with that with uh drew Pin pinsky who mm. is an american uh addiction medicine specialist mm. so it and it just and it's it's so cool. You have to you really really have to exercise your brain to keep up with the the animation plot. There's this zombie attack and they're fighting and stuff, and they end up liking being zombies, all this stuff. And then you have to also keep up with the um, discussion that is really interesting. They're having the pros and cons of psychedelics, the dangers of drug use, or if it's if drugs are intrinsically bad or intrinsically good, and whatever, blah blah blah. It's super interesting. a super interesting topic. But I, I the challenge, and I read an interview that Duncan had with I don't remember who, um, and he explained that, and it it really is a challenge. That the challenge for each episode was to creating this universe and this action and fantastic world, which is incredible, and but also having the conversation and and making that the conversation didn't feel like background background noise. And it, it they I think they they accomplished that perfectly. And even if it's difficult and it requires a lot of attention, it's incredible. 30 minutes. It's not like you have to be an hour um, juicing your brain to keep up. It's just perfect. I mean, I, 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 I tend to watch Adventure Time before going to bed and it does have a positive effect because you go to bed listening to all these funny voices and as I say, the imagination behind it, it is, it is so limitless and unlimited. 
and uh, and with what I I found with Midnight Gospel, I only managed to watch one episode a few months ago, and it was a bit too much for me because I was exp- I came from watching a few like a binge of of Adventure Time, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, 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 they, wait, wait a minute, what's happening here? Uh, so I really do want to sit down and pay close attention to it. Yeah, maybe not before going to sleep, or if maybe your mind's super active, then yes, but I don't know after dinner or there's times where your mind really needs to focus and have this attention on something it's perfect it's the right amount of time and it requires you to exercise your brain but it you also enjoy and want to keep up with what they're saying because to me I felt like I don't know they talk about um, Buddhism, self-appreciation, death there's a couple of them um, surrounding death and the industry complex um, with mortality and the world of the dead. And it was just lots of information that I really wanted to know. And also there was this crazy world happening at the same time. And I was like, yes. I wondered sometimes if the two things didn't quite go together. I mean, in a way, that's the appeal. And in a way... (laughs) But, okay, all right. I'm not sure if... I don't think I believe this, but could it be argued that you shouldn't you know it's a very serious very serious topic you're talking about you know uh, addiction to prescription medicine which is a massive problem you know particularly in the united states at the moment and you're talking it with it's a baby present who's killing <laughs> who's killing zombies is is that not maybe a little bit insane i i think it's it's good to touch on these topics and take them out of the darkness of being, oh, it can only be discussed in these certain times and being super, super serious about it. it otherwise, you're not, mm, I don't know, you're, what you're saying is not relevant or whatever. Um, I think it's it's good to see it in this light. And the discussion, even if it's in a light, casual way, it's they have very valid points and uh, they're killing zombies at the same time. But I, I like it because maybe someone who... Who would, who is lazy when it comes to very serious topics or whatever, and maybe it can also be elitist at times when things are taken too serious. You feel like you're excluded, excluded from it. But in this way, it's like no, it's for everyone. It's for you as well. And listen, it's super interesting, I, and you will feel related to it. In, what what episodes would you recommend? Should people just sort of start at the beginning and and move forward, or are there particular highlights? The good thing you can just watch whatever you f- you feel like. If you don't want to watch, it's only eight episodes. But if you say, "Oh, I'm not really into watching shows or whatever," just watch one or two. I for me, episode five was amazing, amazing episode. Um, just for the animation that it has is. But also the, they talk about Buddhism and the conception of the self with an expert. Um, I think he's called Jason Love. Um, and there's also this uh, criticism on the industrial com- uh, industrial and uh, the prison complex in in the United States at the same time. And there's this reborn being born again and dying endless cycle that the inmates have and I don't know how to explain it because it's very visual and it's it's just magic this one I had to watch twice because I was so caught up with the animation sometimes I, I lost track of of what they were saying but it, it's also cool that you like something as much that you want to watch it twice it doesn't really happen so I found myself quite saturated after one episode yeah. Exactly, it's not, you're not going to binge watch this. No, 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 it was too much. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I like watched one episode, I was quite happy. And I was mm. like, I don't want to watch another one now, you know, like mm. another time. Because there was so, so much detail. Yeah, yeah, in, in, not on the topics, on the animation. But I, for me, for example, if I want to take a break, for example, I'm studying or whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I can, I don't not have an hour to have a break now. Maybe I have a break and watch 30 minutes and I know I do- I will not want to watch another one because it, it doesn't give you a headache but your brain is really working um, so it's perfect if you have a limited amount of time and you want to disconnect with something work or whatever and you know it's not gonna get you caught up on, on the plot because it's just an episode of a podcast and that's it and the last episode you yeah. were saying is particularly particularly moving to me the I wanted to bring up this this show for the last episode. 
I have not cried in my life as much as I cried in this. I think it's a little bit longer. I think it's 35 minutes. But oh my God, uh, this episode, I, I could cry now just thinking about it. It's so beautiful, so touching, so natural. And the thing is, um, in this episode, Clancy, who is the main character, but who is actually Duncan, the, the guy who has this podcast, um, uh, has an interview with his actual mother in his podcast, um, his sick mother who passed away three weeks after the recording of the podcast. So once you see the episode, um, there's the first um, thing slide that says like, oh, this episode is for the late mother of Duncan because she had cancer and passed away. And they have this conversation about coping with death and heartbreak and the passing of a loved one. It's so beautiful, so touching. And even if it's one of the most difficult topics ever, I, I think they, they do it phenomenally. And you you see this connection mother to, the, to, to son um, connection they have going on. And it's, oh, you just feel like a warm hug. But at the same time, it's sad, sad, sad. You cry horribly, but in a beautiful way. And the animation is cute to die for because there's lots of teddy bears and pink and it's so cute. Well, that's the thing you were saying. I remember you you, you were saying how moving this was and I, I had a look up at the yeah, description of the episode and um, his mother shows up uh, on a spaceship full of teddy bears. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that lovely? It, 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 it just warms your heart and punches it at the same time. And how about the soundtrack? The, yeah, the soundtrack is quite amazing as well. Like uh, they have a, a fo- the the soundtrack is on Spotify, so if anyone wants to listen to it, but the the song we're going to listen to is played on the last freaking episode that makes <laughs> you cry even more. And there's this song playing at times, and and then you you just want to go to bed and cry eternally. Well. Uh, I noticed that Mary Lattimore, the harpist who's appearing on a lot of people's records, like with uh, playing with Thurston Moore and she's played with Kurt Vile, Steve Gunn, she released her so uh, another new album recently, a few weeks ago, which we failed to review. She's a bit, she's also one of the my go-to musicians who I'm listening to in, in this lockdown, and she contributes to this soundtrack. Her new album, uh, her most recent album, was absolutely brilliant as well. I'm, I'm, so I'm very pleased uh, we're going to get to listen to just a little bit of this quite fittingly i think uh mm. for the last song we're going to play uh today um it's called we cry um and i think it kind of sums up everything doesn't it yeah well it's been it's been a it's been a pleasure a therapeutic episode exactly it's okay to cry <laughs> it's nice <laughs> Yes.